If this life is driving you to drink, you're sitting around wondering just what to think. Well, I got some consolation. I'll give it to you if I might. You know I don't worry about a thing, cause I know nothing's gonna be alright. Hello, I'm Ellie Mayo Hagen. And I am Owen Jones. And this is Agitpod. Our podcast, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, because we used to say every fortnight, but then it just became so erratic that we went for about three weeks without doing one. Lazy. But then but then we got about three done in a week. So... So who knows? Sporadic. So, our yeah. sporadic podcast. You never know when it's going to arrive. Um, this, I think, is the culmination of our life's work this very moment, Ellie, in, in a way. We are very excited. I've been really professional about it so far. <laughs> I think you really kept it together. Yeah. Given in insu- Full bladder control. <laughs> I haven't, I've wet myself. Um, but we have the amazing Stuart Lee. Oh, thanks for having me. That's all right, it's an honour. It's great to be here. It's a really nice Christmasly decorated flat with a nice cat in it, so it couldn't be more happy. Kia, a hyperactive Burmese cat. Yeah. We, um, Stuart's admiring our, what did you call the tree? Well, it's, it's thematically coherent. <laughs> it's about the Russian Revolution, isn't it? And it's got, it's got, it's wintry, it's got powdered snow on it, and, uh, and sort of a revolutionary Russia era decorations. It I have great. a communist tree. That's yeah. going in the Daily Mail. Yeah, well, that's say. exactly <laughs> what they expect you to yeah, yeah. out there. Yeah. He even had, he's killed Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a, he's got a communist winterval tree. Is what he's got. <laughs> that will be an article. Uh, I actually be, was yeah. in my in my office a while ago, and um, I was listening to music, and I took my headphones out, and then. It was like Pete Seeger's Solidarity oh, Forever yeah. when I was just like so embarrassed because yeah. I was just like, that is exactly what everybody would expect me to listen to. Yeah, walking cliches. And yeah, um, same with the tree. So this week we saw Stuart's show. Hilarious. I actually caused like, physical damage laughing. Yeah, like my face was hurting afterwards. So if yeah, you're, thanks Stuart. Sorry. If you, um, <laughs> yeah, so you should be. Yeah. Um, so if you're in London uh, until April? Well, no. I'm, in, uh, I'm in London till uh, the end of January at the Les Square Theatre. Then I'm doing a last bit of touring February, March, April. And then I finish uh, in London and at the Royal Festival Hall for three nights in April. Um, but I've got another... I'm, I'm basically... Because I, I, I was doing this TV series for 10 years uh, sporadically for BBC Two. And they cancelled it after the fourth series. So I thought, right, I'll, I'll tour to absolutely... I'll play to absolutely everyone that wants to come once I'll just keep it going and every time someone sells out I'll put another date on and I'll leave an 18 month window to do it so that I sort of from a you know a work point of view I'll play to as many people as I can at this point because I don't imagine ever being this well known again and then if my audience depreciates by 20% on every tour I'll just about get through to my mid 60s having <laughs> discharged my financial responsibilities to my family and then I can, so I'm kind of I just thought I'll go everywhere but what's fun about the London ones at the moment is you know, I always take this, I always, for a joke, say I'm disappointed with the audience, but this, there's so many tickets available, and because it's over Christmas, that you are getting quite a lot of people coming who just wanted to go to something. And it's really great to actually be getting new people at this stage. It's really interesting. It's because they were an object of the, uh, of the, of the yeah. stand-up show, weren't they? Yeah, well, I know a lot. I look on the internet at what people say about me, and even a lot of people that like me, you know, so they're fed up with me um, doing this thing where I pick on the audience. But I, it's a... I mean, to me, it's just the opposite of being of being nice to them. It's just a device that makes something happen in the room. It's yeah. not like it's the whole show, but I, it's also, I think, it, yeah, yeah. For me, in a, even in a stand-up show, you've got you've got there's got to be something at stake, right? You want some kind of uh, shape to it, and the, the shape of most of mine is that he, the comedian Stuart Lee, <laughs> doesn't really want to be there, <laughs> but sort of has to be because it's his job. And, 
that's the sort of drama and tries to sort of do it as well as he can with it whilst at the same time sort of slightly resenting the fact that he has to you know so <laughs> that just makes a story to it really I also think um because I have actually I'm embarrassed embarrassed now because it'll yeah. reveal the uh, extent of my fandom I actually got into you uh, through uh, This Morning with Richard, Not Judy. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and me and my friends at school used to watch it religiously. Uh, well, yeah. And we used to have a little book where, where we used to write down quotes from Sunday Heroes. We used oh, to write right, down, really? Consider the Lily, yeah, and draw yeah. pictures of Lily. So embarrassed, so well, embarrassed. No, you know, well, a lot of people, we've been very lucky, both me and Rich, that a lot of people, well, f- well, first of all, a lot of people still come from then. I mean, obviously it's not, that, that was never a hugely popular thing, weirdly, although it got quite a lot of viewers because there wasn't anything else to watch in the 90s. But, um, but, <laughs> it really wasn't. You know, but, um, Just so, Tony Blair speeches. Yeah, yeah, really, but wasn't it wasn't it? really any... You know, it wasn't like millions of channels and DVDs and, and internet and stuff. So, But we, st- we still get people come from that. And then I was lucky, I think, that... I mean, I gave up really from about 99 to about 2004. And when I started again I realised that a lot of people like yourself who like things I'd done when they were at school were now journalists or bookers or things like that. <laughs> so actually I took five years off and then when I came back the child army that I sort of, uh, <laughs> well, I'm going to say because it was Sunday morning yeah, right? so of, we were all up at Sunday morning from, yeah well I'm going to Going to beat your fandom. Thank you very much. This is just people listening go, oh, pathetic sick of fans. We don't care. Yeah, shut um, up because you're not in the room with When Stuart I was me. about 11 or 12, remember this because I had to like hide under the bedclothes. This sounds weird, by the way. Yeah. It's not creepy, don't worry. Because you were. Is it more or less creepy than the little book confession that <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, to That is genuinely quite creepy. And I would, I would if I were you, get a restraining order. Right, right. Um, no, uh, you, you wouldn't re- be the first. It was the Radio One show on Monday night. Yeah. Well, and you- I used to listen to I remember I had this little plastic radio thing with an aerial and really bad reception I had to kind of low it because I was scared because I'd get told off because it was like it was you know I was was 10 or 11 I can't really remember anything about those I remember the weak lemon juice yeah because because they were done in such a frenzied panic you know of um but it's amazing to think now that you know in in the early 90s there was a lot of speech radio on radio one um and a lot of comedy and it wasn't just us there were all sorts of people doing these nine till ten slots Chris Morris Armando Inucci and uh, you know, were, I mean, we had Amando on the podcast. Yeah. Actually. I mean, they were really, they were. It was like a sort of weird experimental safe space where you could sort of try these things out, and and um, there must have been a lot of people listening. And it, I mean, and you get funny feedback you get from that is one of the, someone from Franz Ferdinand said that listening to because I used to choose the playlist for that. And he said it got him into, when he was a kid, it got him into like American 80s hardcore and stuff, which was a real influence <laughs> on there. It's like, so I'm secretly the founder of Friends. You know, there's all sorts of things like that where people unexpected really odd memories of it, you know, but I, but I can't remember really doing, doing them because they were, they were just, it was just so white knuckle, you know, and, and it was live. How come do you think yeah. that space for kind of, Experimental comedy with a big mainstream platform. What happened? Where did yeah, like cause, I mean, I, I sort of sometimes think about things like Jam. Yeah, and yeah, I think Chris would that, Morris, would that yeah. ever be made now? Well, you I don't know. know. I mean, I don't, I don't know, and it's difficult. That the, the thing is, there's much more, m- many more mainstream platforms, aren't there? But they're all chasing the, a thin end of the same audience, really. So I don't know if you get the, but you, but then you know, young people tell me it's all happening on the internet, you know, and every now and again. So I don't, I'm. I've never downloaded a podcast. I don't really know how to do that. I didn't bother either, so, including this one. Well, I know so. that there's you know, that, that's a big deal to people, and you can see people making things. Oh, that's a weird thing when young people say to me, "How do you become a comedian?" I don't really know anymore because the whole thing is so different. Thirty years ago, it's like you're talking about being a dry stone waller or something. 
What you do, you go to London and you rent a flat and you get a temp job, which doesn't exist now because it's an unpaid internship. And then you go around all the clubs and you ring everyone up on your phone and you have to dial it round like that every 10,000. And then you go, can I come and do a tryout spot? And if you're very good, after a year, you might start getting paid. It sounds like you're talking about sort of apprentices coming with to, to the town with their handkerchief in their bag, you know, because now it's, you've got to put things online and get film of yourself and network and get followers and all this sort of stuff. It's beyond me, really. What do you like best about it? What, about doing stand-up? Yeah. Well, at the moment, weirdly, and this is not meant to sound depressing, but, you know, we're, we've, got, we've got two kids. We both work. There's always things to do in the daytime, deadlines to hit and stuff. The period between the end of school and getting on stage is, is very, very difficult. Getting the kids back, trying to get their homework done, mm. get them fed and get them ready for the babysitter. And actually, I normally get to the theatre during the London runs with not much time to spare. But then when I step on the stage, I've sort of now I've got two, two and a half hours to myself in a really strange way where mm. I can sort of within certain parameters. I haven't, anything that happens will not be as difficult as suddenly being asked to just help with some maths homework that mm. you don't understand, a 10-year-old's homework that yeah, you can't yeah, do. Yeah. You know? It's actually a weird, um, weird thing. That's what I like about it. I, li- I like the fact that you're the writer and the director of your own thing. If, if you choose to make a change to something early on, you haven't got to clear it with loads of musicians or whatever. You can, you know you can weave it back in later on or change something later on that will make it work. So it's, it's that. And I find it really hard to work with other people now on anything because you get so used to being in control of it. The other thing that's interesting is you get to the point now where I think there's been so much stand-up on telly that a lot of people turn up with a sort of understanding of what the rules are. Mm. So you can have more fun breaking them because now the public have seen so much of it yeah. that they kind of know what, what it is more than they used to. So I like everything about it. I, I can't believe that I've got to make a living out of it and a lot of people would probably agree with that. But I was just really lucky when I got into it. It was in the 80s, you know, it was really an exciting, different, new yeah. thing. Like authored stand-up in Britain. We hadn't really had anything like that. And... It, and you, you saw comics on with bands, which made them seem like they were part of some kind of counterculture, so you kind of wanted to be a part of that. I don't know if I'd think that. I don't know if the teenage me today would want to be a comedian, because I'd look at all those panel show things, and I just think it was sort of for squares and lads, you know. I don't know mm. if it's what I would want to do, really. I was just lucky with the time. Um, I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, the where you were saying that you're kind of mean to the audience. Yeah. Because what I was saying earlier... Um, the book, me confessing uh, my love for Richard, not Judy, Creep. was the start of me saying that I've been to a lot of your yeah. shows, four or five, I would say, and um, and I always get a kick as a as an audience member out of you being mean. I think sometimes I feel like what you're doing is you're um, sort of expressing the feelings of the audience. First of all, about their own sort of middle class anxieties, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also like perhaps their sort of frustration that the world isn't the way that they want it to be. Yeah. And the kind of, you know, the, the fact that on, on the one hand, you empathize with people, you know, who have got like political opinions that you don't share. But on the other hand, you resent them for it yeah. because it's making the world worse. Yeah. And that kind of anxiety. But I also try to res- I try increasingly to resent the people that I agree with as well, just because, yeah. I, I mean, you know, that's been a fun thing I've been trying to work out in this this run is to do sort of impressions of the kind of things people that like me say about yeah. me, yeah. right? Like we just sort of, yeah. yeah, you know, it's me. I mean, if you've once you've got into him, I don't think you can really watch other stand up. It just seems awful, and you kind of do that. And then there's people that have been brought by someone laughing at the person they're with because <laughs> they said that to them. Before. Like, like really, and so it's sort of trying to make everyone feel 
alienated in some way. Yeah. But actually, yeah. it's very inclusive. That's the weird thing. I mean, I, I, that, that's why I, I've read stupidest things about me sometimes. Daily, Daily Telegraph particularly seems to just fail to get it at all. And they, Willfully misunderstand Yeah, I mean, like, you know, there's a, there is a, an atmosphere of joy in those shows, right? And yet the Telegraph bloke came in and wrote this thing. It was a hateful thing of alienating everyone and it was like people were you, you can't say it about yourself but people are crying with laughter and yet he's writing it as if yeah. it's this thing it's kind of uh, it makes them people have a kind of cathartic madness this um, artist Rose Wiley she's um, 84 and she's just won a load of prizes she's got a new show at the Serpentine there's a thing on Radio 4 where um, artists choose another artist to talk to and she chose me and I was very surprised and then I realised that I'd met her because she's come to a lot of shows I hadn't connected her with Thing. You wouldn't think, would you? It'd be... So I went to her house, and I really like her stuff, sort of a bit like Basque or something. And um, I was really pleased to meet her, so I had a nice talk with her half an hour. And then the Telegraph review was, Stuart Lee's supposed to hate everyone, and be, <laughs> and, but he was finally met his match in this charming old lady where he couldn't seem to get her. What was I trying to go and go? I mean, that was like weird, like, assumption that you would go to some, be invited to the house of someone whose work you like. And just be incredibly horrible. Rude. It's sort of mad. Like, they just kind of can't, it doesn't seem capable, that paper, of figuring out that it is a sort of an act that you're invited to laugh at. Mm. You know, it's sort of, um, I think it's because there's a, there's a sort of journalist humour, not in, not in The Guardian, but in those sorts of papers that's very... One note, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Sort of, you just sort of say these things, and there's no suggestion of nuance or character, or you know. So. I mean, one of the things was because the show, a lot of it talks about Trump and Brexit, and we when we chat to Amanda Inucci, one of the things that struck me is I've not seen the thick of it since maybe for about three years now. Yeah. I actually and, watched an episode of it the other day, but it's because it would seem so ridiculously tame now given everything that's happened since i mean do, do you find that i mean in terms of comedy i mean in the 90s things were quite politically bland yeah and now we've just gone through this unbelievable set of upheavals is it kind of hard to kind of keep catching up well, with reality you know t- tell me if i if i go on too long about this but there's a number of th- things there first of all this show i was really lucky with it because i I wanted to use modern parlance to monetize my current appeal and to write a show that I could keep touring for a year and a half. And I started writing it in the summer of last year, at which, and within a month, all the ideas I'd had were not relevant because there's been such a seismic shift in, in politics and also in people's attitudes. A lot of people have talked about this. It's much harder to be, say, you can't really be ironically racist now because the person in charge of America is racist. Right? So you, <laughs> yeah. can't, you can't assume people think it was a joke because... The establishment has has chosen to say things and endorse views that we would have found impossible to believe two years ago. So that's difficult. The, it's, you might get a really good bit working, but you never know. Every day there could be someone could lose their job, or I'm in this weird thing where I'm sort of hoping Theresa May hangs on until I win this up in April. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm the same because yeah, I know. like I'm working on a book proposal yeah, at the yeah. moment. I'm like. No, don't have a snap election yeah, because well, then it'll just ruin my thesis. So ruin chapter two in my new book, Living yeah. Anyway, kind of. Yeah. It's difficult to kind of do, do that. Then the, you know, the other thing is, it again, it's well, things have become so polarized that again, I do talk about this in the show that I've, I've said I've got to try and things are so polarized that I now need to write jokes that are funny in their in of themselves rather than simply being statements that people agree with. A tragic thing about Brexit, for example, is that. The sort of people that go to a theatre more likely to have voted um, voted uh, to remain because there was a there's a correlation between education level and your 
financial stake in society that correlates with your choice to vote remain, which tended to favour the higher your education level, not your intelligence, Ian mm-hmm. Dale, your, <laughs> your, educa- your education level, which is a different thing we all know. Obviously, there's a filter. You know, you don't get a lot of Leave voters in the audience. But but the Telegraph, again, made up a story about me um, saying that comedians, me included, that do Brexit material were having mass walkouts. And this went in a garbled form to the Express and the Daily Mail and Breitbart and Spiked and all those crappy, like, outright things. And I, I couldn't get it back in the box. You know, the Telegraph wouldn't correct it. Um, the Express did put a correction up. Well, I'm not getting walkouts. It's absolutely the... Yeah. In fact, people are sort of delighted to hear someone talking about it. And obviously in the show, I try and fabricate a balance. I, it's pretty clear that I'm opposed to Brexit, but then I also do stuff where I try to you know, laugh at the ignorance of a metropolitan liberal elite that didn't understand what drove that result. So there is a sort of balance. But something that's happened in 12 months of doing the same bit is this, which was last autumn, uh, Leave voters would come up after the show and they'd go, can you sign, I'm a Leave voter, can you sign to a Leave voting cunt or something? <laughs> and they'd, we'd have a laugh about it, right? They'd won, so they could afford to be magnanimous. Yeah. And it worked well for the comedy, because obviously it's always better if you're on the losing side, then you're not a bully. What happens has happened now is no one's walked out, but people have been upset. It's because they've sort of lost. You know, they won the vote, but they've lost the argument, they've lost... None of the things they wanted are going to come through. It's clearly made the world a worse, more tense, intolerant place. And I think they know this. And um, so they're defensive, so they can't laugh at themselves. So you're in a weird position where even though you're on the losing side, you're sort of a bully taking the piss out of them because... They're beleaguered. They're, you know, it's, it's, it's awful. It's very difficult to judge it. Because it's, it's the thing, kind of, Trump and the kind of hardcore Brexiteers have in common is they act like sore winners. They act like people who clearly on paper have won, yeah. but they act like they've lost. But the other yeah. thing, I just wondered, like, linking into that, part of Brexit and Trump to a degree, the way it was, well, even more, actually, it was portrayed as UPC liberal in quotes do do gooders you've yeah. had your party yeah and and it's over and we're taking over now yeah and, and fuck off basically that's and, what flurry and philpot from the national front said their world is collapsing ours is being built so did you find that in that atmosphere is i mean you know the kind of that triumphalism enemies of the people style culture as the daily mail put it yeah has that had an Im- did that have an impact just well, in media in terms of the sort of comedy look, that, you know about 10 years ago I sort of realised that the best thing to do with all this stuff was to own it. Mm. And so I'm quite happy to describe myself as politically correct. I, I'm from a, an era where I thought political correctness was a really good and necessary thing. People forget that, you know, just before I was born in Birmingham, the Tory party advertising slogan for the Smethic or Small Heath election Smethic. was, if you want an N-word for a neighbour, vote Liberal Labour. Yeah, that was out there. It was much better now that that isn't happening. It's much better. You know, you, you think... We, we, in, in my school in 1983, the school play was 10 little, uh, the word you can't say, the Agatha Christie thing. It was called that. There were black kids in the school. <laughs> what was going on? That's unbelievable yeah, to think that's it. Yeah. So, and, um, not any in the play, though, obviously. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> it was set in Edwardian England. But, uh, you know, I, th- I think it's because I always say, yeah, I am, a, I am a member of the Metropolitan Liberal Elite. I'm, uh, you know, and I, I, I own all those things. And the other thing I realised was that Weirdly, the the hate, the the hate, and made up things in the Daily Mail and the Telegraph, they look really funny on posters. Mm. And I think actually I've started a bit of a trend with that. Apparently, Noel Gallagher's put a really bad review on his new <laughs> a one star review. Yeah, it's like <laughs> a waste. He's regurgitated, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, and I really like them. And loads of them, I sort of 
because actually, if you've got a quote slagging you off and it's attributed to Toby Young, right? <laughs> loads of people are going to go, I hate him. I'll go and see that. So it's actually <laughs> weird. Like, you kind of, um, you kind of, it kind of doesn't really matter. It would, be, it would probably matter more if I was a politician or something. But, uh, but there's enough, like, I can't now, I don't have the time or the will to play to the amount of people that want to come, right? So actually, it's, there's enough coming from the 50% of the country that don't, aren't, Conceived, filled with rage and hate. So it's um, you know, it's all right. Toby um, Young is the worst, isn't he? Did you ever yeah. read that article he wrote in the Spectator about um how he hated stag dues? And it actually, if you read it, it was because he had a stag do and nobody came. Oh really? So the article it? was about how stag dues are overrated. Yeah, because nobody came to a stag do. Yeah. Well, you know what? Isn't a lot of Trump and Brexit politics is sort of things like that made flesh, isn't it? Kind of yeah. weird personal resentments of things that seem to have become i mean why is trump being so horrible to native americans i mean they get a free pass don't they it just kind of wants to annoy people for some reason or to teach you do good as a lesson he's going to take away all their land and loads of land america doesn't need to steal the pueblo indian the secret <laughs> he calls I mean, elizabeth warren the uh, american senator apparently has native american heritage he yeah, calls yeah. her pocahontas yeah i know yeah yeah, yeah. it is like it is, it is deliberate it's weirdly deliberate yeah. a lot of his especially his um twitter account you know, he has these, I think we talked about this in another podcast about where, where like, um, often his people will be going, no, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. And then he'll tweet, yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's really bizarre. Yeah, it? Well, it's got, it's got, the thing about that is, you know, I'm, I'm hardly want to, st- I'm going to stop for about a year after this story just to see where we are mm. before I write another thing. Do yeah. you have any thoughts about where we might be? No, I don't. And, I, and I, you know, I don't know. What to do? What What was nice about this tour is it wasn't. I wasn't working things out for telly. It could afford to be fairly flexible. Um, I wasn't writing anything for broadcast, so it could afford afford to be more sort of scatological and chaotic. Um, and so it actually has ended up in quite a feel good show. Weirdly, it's quite yeah, silly and definitely. Yeah, and, and, is, and yeah. I felt that my audience needed that at the moment. Really, the risk of sounding like some messianic thing. They deserved a bit of cheering up, right? And so it is quite st- stupid show, you know, like odd slapsticky things that is not stuff I would normally do in it. Yeah, know? there so, are um, moments that that, yeah. that were new. Yeah, yeah, so you know, and I, I thought it just was. It, it's it's weirdly escapist. Whereas there's no bit in it. Also, another there's normally a bit in the live shows where there's some half-hour thing where I have to get every single pause right, and it needs some contemplation of death or your own mortality or something. And it's really hard to do, and you can't put a foot wrong because if you mess it up, the bit that is the payoff will go. And in fact, there was a bit in the worked a lot on tour was doing Rod Little eating all this food. And it, it was really good on tour. It, it never the two telly recordings we had just never quite got there, you know. But, but there's no bits like that in this, so it's just fun, you know. I can, I can. There's nothing that I can't change or sabotage or mess around with. So I don't know what what, what the next tour will be. It will sort of depend on partly on what's the public mood as well. You yeah, know? yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. It was it was nice to do a show where everyone's laughing all the way through it, rather than. Sort of frightened and confused from vast parts of it. I can't see why they do it. The normal comedians is quite a good feeling, like, <laughs> making everyone happy. It's quite good, you know. So, um, yeah. Another theme of the show is um, social media. Mm. You talk a lot about, um, you know, how we've sort of lost lost the ability to appreciate things because yeah. we're 
focused on too focused on yeah this sort of narcissistic feedback loop of social media is that is that is that a bit that you were doing for the show or, or is that something that you well I, you it's think? um well you know I, I do think it I do think a lot about it and I'm and I'm not I'm not really on any social media I don't I've got this old phone you know and I and I and increasingly it, for our Listeners, yeah, that it, yeah. Stuart has just uh, revealed a is it Nokia thirty three ten? I don't know. It's one of the really old ones a from the nineteenth century. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's just brought out some parchment yeah. and a quill. <laughs> it's actually diesel powered. That one. But it increasingly uh, seems to annoy people that you're not on the WhatsApp group for school parents or whatever, which I understand is irritating. <laughs> But I think I'm free, and I and I look around more at things. I would definitely be a lot on, happier if it wasn't you know. on Twitter. Or well, Facebook. it's the re- one of the reasons I bring brought this up is because I um I've been thinking about this a lot since I saw your show because I actually left social media a couple of months ago. I left Facebook and Twitter, and I've been thinking about it a lot. And actually, I am happier now. Yeah. I'm not on it, and um in in the sense that I feel like a great weight has been lifted. And yeah. someone called it the the voluntary panopticon to me a while ago. Oh, right. What does that mean? I think the, so. The panopticon is a key step in. If I've got this wrong, yeah. the panopticon is a prison right. that's been perfectly designed so that the prisoner can never see any of the guards, um, but the guards can always see the prisoner. So mm. the prisoner has to conduct mm. himself as though he's being watched at all times, but he never knows whether he is or isn't. And well, so it's that that's feeling of just... very true, isn't it? Of, of social media, yeah. And, and uh, w- I mean, one of the reasons I don't do Twitter is because a, a lot, a, quite a lot of nights in the year, I uh, get in a drunk after a gig about one in the morning. If I've had a particularly good or bad one, yeah. I, will, I will attempt to <laughs> two level very my different ty- types. Yeah, of that. Anyway, <laughs> and I see, I, 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 I do Google my name on Twitter um, to see. If there's reviews, sometimes I'll see a load of comics like pissed at talking a right load of rubbish. At the, there's one guy in particular, and I can I can picture his life right. He's got in, and something sort of annoyed him, and he's and he's he's gone out. Oh, there's no proper drink in the house. What there is is in the cellar. There's some of those small bottles that you get Babies, at Christmas. Yeah, yeah. You know, like they're thirty three. Yeah. So you get a fl- you get a slab them in mini them. bars in yeah. hotels. From, yeah. yeah. And he's gone and drunk all those, and then he's like on social media, like getting stuck in, and all the little comics they can't believe he's there so they all join in and try and agree with him and everything and it's sort of it just seems like you, you can't live like that you've got to be so careful you know yeah. you, you can't especially when you're under scrutiny you know so um and, and it's a context thing as well i mean there's something doing the rounds now that i said that uh, the, the manchester bombing of the uh one of the shopping centers it wasn't the one that people died in it was the one it was an old one the Young Array one? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember yeah. that one. Is it, it the Arndale? The Arndale. Yeah. Not the Arndale. It was another, there was another old one, wasn't there, in a marketplace. Anyway, oh, yeah. I called it Urban Renewal. And people are sort of trying to attach this to me as if I've said this about terrorism now. If I ever did say that, I would have said it on stage at some point, at the end of some long thing, probably in response to some pr- provocation. It's not... That's partly why I'm also really police phone use in the room. Because um, obviously we have a responsibility. We're in a public place speaking, but... There's a degree of there's a margin of error in improvisation sometimes to do with taste issues that you don't necessarily want documented. You yeah. know? And, um, it's very difficult now for people to work things out in any kind of public space because stuff gets um, gets filmed and put up there, and you know, and it'd be really hard, I think, to be to be young and starting out because as soon as you get home, you could Google yourself, and it might be your first ever gig, and there'll be some someone's filmed five seconds of it put up on the internet. And there's a guy in 
Wisconsin saying, give up your shit or something. Yeah. It's all right, really. You know, terrible. But also, I suppose, yeah, I mean, you get the Twitter storms, don't you? Yeah. I mean, I mean, so uh, John Monson, he wrote that book about, yeah. um, what's it called? Shame. So you've yeah, been yeah. publicly shamed. I've read that, actually. And um, one of the stories is a, is a, is a woman who works for PR yeah, she's, yeah. so she Justine Sacco. She tweeted um, about three years ago now, yeah. she tweeted something like... Uh, on my way to South Africa, I hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding, I'm white. Yeah. And about half an hour later, no one had responded. And then she began her 12-hour flight. And during the course of that flight, so Some, wrote someone from Gorka, which was a, an outlet that's closed down now, yeah, but yeah. A, a guy from Gorka, I'm not going to say his name just because I'm not sure if I can remem- remember yeah, yeah. the right guy, but he um, he retweeted it to, I think he said doesn't didn't have that many followers, yeah. but it was enough for it to kick off. Yeah. And she has said, since that she was satirizing, white, I understand white what that privilege. joke is yeah. completely. I completely. And if she was a comedian, it. actually, it would have been different, yeah. wouldn't it? I understand what that joke. But her is. life collapsed basically. Yeah. I understand yeah. what that joke is, and I can imagine, uh, I can imagine saying it on stage, um, irrespective of the racial makeup of the audience, and, and assuming that people would understand what it is you're trying to say. But we have a, a context for that as part mm. of not only the two hours of the show that people are in, but also. The history of the audience trusting you and knowing who you are and allowing you yeah. a degree of uh, leeway um, to to say that it's, it's hers is unfortunate. It's got it's gone off to people. They're not they're not friends of hers. It's not attached to anything. And yeah. it's um and it, it it's a, it's it's not you you know, you've got to think what 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 that will look like and that's the that's the difficulty. With yeah, all this stuff. Ex- I completely agree. Like I um actually saw that unfold in real time. Oh god, because it was a hashtag, wasn't it? How long till she lands? Oh, and it ended. No, it has Justine landed yet? Oh, and because yeah. people were using the Google flight tracker to watch her yeah. flying, and then somebody took a picture of her in the airport in South Africa receiving the news. Someone who just happened to have seen on Twitter, and um and I completely agree with you. Like I think that that was a mistake on her part, especially considering that she worked for PR to, yeah, yeah. to put to that out in a, that. In a yeah. contextless yeah. way like that and to think that people would be able to receive it like that. However, I don't think that the gravity of that mistake warrants her life being destroyed for and, like a and year also, and a half. people were revel. I mean, what drove oh, a lot of people, they were angry about the original treat, they were reveling in the public destruction. Of yeah, they were enjoying the, they're yeah, enjoying they're enjoying it. I mean, they're enjoying it was the, the geography of the story as well. Of like the, yeah. I mean, there's something with Pretty Patel, wasn't it, when she, um, when she was basically flying home, be sacked. And yeah. it became this sort of thing, a bit like O.J. Simpson being chased by <laughs> yeah, yeah. a sort of like, the, you know, if they could have... Yeah, but she slow, deserved it. Yeah. <coughs> I know, yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I just think that was a slow news day as well. The thing about, yeah. about how we've got so much news coverage everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, well, this is what, yeah, I'm sure this is something you both of you have talked about, is... We've got loads of coverage. We've got no analysis. We've got loads of events. Mm. Yeah, and that's like a, a, that. The pretty Patel thing was like, here's this event. Look, it's then the, the, the she's over there flying towards the conclusion of this event. It's sort of perfect. You can track it on satellites and things. And that story of that woman is similar as well, isn't it? Because you, the, what they were enjoying is that is that at some point she was going to arrive, having not known what had happened, and hit this massive flurry of of stuff. You know, it's weird. Yeah. I mean, when when um, I was working on Richard Thomas's Jerry Springer the Opera. When the, when that became um, that a, a big uh, source of annoyance to people, we were actually in Germany. Weird to imagine that it was only two thousand and four, but there wasn't Twitter, mm. and we had a sort of inkling that something was, was going on. You know, we couldn't really it didn't happen in in real time in the way it would now. If if there'd been social media then, um, I think the whole controversy might have been dampened down because people would have been able to go online and go, well, most of these things you're complaining about aren't actually in this 
Yeah, there'd be a backlash to the backlash. backlash, backlash mm. Yes, yeah, so I think it might have actually worked out better really yeah. for us because you would have been able to um, count, you know, to give evidence-based uh, answers to these assumptions. And pe- there would have been a news story people take to Twitter to defend yeah. it. Yeah. That would have been... Yeah, yeah and also, um, you know, because I think because of the, the particular culture of, of this Twitter world, I think given that the um, backlash was being led by the sort of right-wing tabloids, yeah. I think probably you would have been defended. Been, yeah, by the... By, the sort of people that use the internet, which is an interesting knock-on for politics, isn't it? That this is why the Daily Mail must be cacking its pants because the voters of tomorrow are not going to read it, you know, and yeah. uh, they're 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 going to uh, get things primarily from so- social media or news outlets that have an online presence, which is more than simply lots of pictures of sixteen-year-old actresses on a beach, you know. Which is mainly the Daily Mail's website. <laughs> I know it's amazing, <laughs> so, isn't it? It is like your sort of. Perverted elderly relative. Yeah, right it's like the sidebar of the Daily Mail. Got I, news, I can't believe it whenever yeah, I look yeah, at it. Yeah, it's right. like a news story about some paedophile next to some fourteen-year-old girl, and look how beautiful she is. Look how yeah. grown up she is. Oh! It's amazing. It's just like astounds me every time I go on the Daily Mail website. Yeah. Like, just kind of, it's like real, like, rubbing thighs, mm. sort of interest. It's weird. Well, I mean, Corbyn said a funny thing about that. He said, you know, in one of his speeches earlier this year, that the day before the election, the Daily Mail did 14 pages slagging him off. And then the next day, his points went about 12% or something. Yeah. Went, Can I have 30, 30 pages? <laughs> yeah. And sort of actually, it's enjoyable how they can't really, there's things they can do, but they... There's, th- there's other things they can't stop. Because I think that's what happened in the... Ele- I mean, it's interesting because in 1983, the Tories had a nine-point lead amongst 18 to 24-year-olds. They're going to have a 52-point lead. Yeah. And what I think we saw in this election was the stranglehold of the press, the kind yeah. of somewhat won-it kind of thing, yeah. was broken by by social media, by the fact a lot of people mm. go on Facebook to these viral videos challenging... And they were very triumphalist after Brexit as well. Yeah. That, that was interesting, yeah. was that it really felt like the tabloids were back in the driving seat after yeah. Brexit. And then... So the election actually really undermined that. There's a funny thing happening with the Telegraph at the moment. You know, I'm obsessed with the Telegraph at the moment because it's like a someone who it's like a schizophrenic being. You know, because obviously the <laughs> Barclay brothers are pro Brexit because they've you know they're a financial in, interest in it. The editorials are still trying to toe that line, but the news can't. The news reporters can't yeah. make it work because they can't find they can't find enough news to support the editorial position. So the editorials are still. That it's all everything's great, yeah. but the actual front page news will be about some disastrous Irish border negotiation. Yeah. They, can't, <laughs> yeah. they can't find enough things to put on the. It's like the reality yeah. of the shit show is such. Yeah. 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 No, it's a great shit show. Yeah. Yeah. I was. I mean, this might be a bit worthy, but I've, I've said this to Mark, Mark Steele, and obviously Mark Steele, this you know, you know his. Columns are, very, are supposed to be political, you know. Yeah. Agit Pod alumnus, do you check that episode out? Um, but what I because I like these worthy, windy little columns. Oh, it's so unfair and unjust. And there's some statistics, and look how sad it is. Um, that column yeah, but, you wrote today, wasn't and it? it was actually. But then comedians, what common deal is make things look preposterous in a way that a word, you know what I mean? Like whether it be an injustice yeah. or the government well, or authority or. I think Mark's columns are brilliant like that. They're, they're and you laughing. do it as well. Well, but I do it. I do it in a wanky way. Don't I mean? I, I, I sort of. I've been asked to write columns, you know, from like nineteen ninety onwards, and I never really cracked it. And then in about neither have I, mate. Well, no, you have. <laughs> and it, so then in about two thousand and five, 
it was when the last royal wedding was. The Guardian asked me to do something, and I. Uh, 2012. 2012. Yeah. I was no, on. Was, I was yeah. on bail actually for that. Yeah, it was yeah. really annoying because I'd been arrested at this protest, and I was on bail, and so I wasn't allowed to leave the house oh, that right. day because right. they thought I was going to protest the royal okay. wedding. The wedding. Right. So I had to just sit inside all day. It was rubbish. Oh, what a shame! That was. Yeah. Well, they, they said <laughs> I they, wanted to go and cheer them on. <laughs> they well, then they, 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 they asked. They said, "Do you want to write about that?" And I, I thought, oh, I'll try and write it. As if I want to be taken seriously by the readers of the Guardian, as if I'm clever, which is sort of what I am. Anyway, I'm sort of got, I've got a bit of an inferiority complex about class and establishment. Weirdly, even though I'm, I went to Oxford, I'm not going to go into all that stuff about where I came from, or whatever. But anyway, I've got. So I, I thought, oh, oh, I'll so he's like, I wrote it like he was trying to really bolster it with all pretentious arguments and sort of write in a way that would sound clever. And then I, after I decided to do that, I sort of worked out how to do those columns, which is the stand-up me is trying to do stand-up. She thinks he's better than it at the same time as doing it. And the columnist me is like, thinks he's probably not good enough to do it, but is trying to like give a good account of himself and uh, and also really like toes a very correct sort of line on certain things. And um, but I'm not sure that it works because... Tim Montgomery recently. Um, Just so people know, Tim Montgomery is a is a right wing writer. Yeah, yeah. He does this website called Unheard, which they, is a they, bit weird. They've both taken sections of though of my columns out of context, which were meant to be parodies of sorts of how you wrote the Guardian, and went, look at this, the it's beyond parody. Look at what it's saying now, and it's a thing that you wrote as a joke. Anyway, Breitbart, <laughs> um, last week I wrote a thing saying that I was pleased that. Um, Prince Harry was marrying someone called Meghan Markle because her name sounded a bit like Mrs. Merkel, and I hope this would make people anti-Brexit, right? Brian Park put that. <laughs> Look how desperate they are. <laughs> it was insane. So you kind of... And that also, when I look below the line, increasingly, the majority of people just don't seem to understand that they're Yeah, yeah, it has definitely turned into all. a cesspit. Though, you know, it's really yeah. weird. I mean, but an outright the, cesspit. It's a cesspit. Just below the line. Column. Yeah, but the good thing about that is I, when I was lucky enough to be able to do the collected, to put the, be- the best ones in a book, and I, I, under the end of every one, I put the funniest, stupid comments that people had put underneath them. And, you know, But then, of course, what I realised then was a lot of them, in retrospect, were... Um, were Russian bots things. No, um, whenever you wrote about Putin, or, or, or you get really odd, like huge blocks of text would come up about uh, about his achievement. So troll factory in St. Petersburg, basically. Yeah, yeah, I thought he was doing that. You know, and um, they'd appreciate the Christmas tree, though. Yeah, they'd love it. You'd be all right. Yeah, I'll yeah. I'll get away with it. You won't be in a gulag. Look at you. That's my you know my get out of gulag pass. That yeah, it's a yeah. massive, slightly camp Christmas tree, yeah. uh, which is completely over the top. Yeah, I mean. It's funny, actually, because The Guardian, they did this study um, about comments, and they found that a massive, massive chunk of them are written by about 0.001% of readers. Yeah. Because you read sometimes Guardian comments, and actually sometimes now The Guardian just don't bother with putting comments up, because, yeah. you know, no one is ever going to lie on their deathbed thinking, do you know what, I wish I'd read more comments below yeah, the line. Yeah. But, but <laughs> Loads I- of mine say... Uh... This was a waste of a private education. It's like you didn't even go I to didn't private. go to private school. I get that all the time. So like, <laughs> yeah. well, that, it's funny if people make people making those assumptions about my uh, my wife's comedian, and she left school at fifteen. But because she now writes for liberal papers and does liberal stand up, there's all these like class hate is directed towards her about assumptions about her private education, university education. It's really weird. Like, um, and I think I think. Uh, it's, it shows you an incredible window into people's assumptions. Well, it's odd, isn't it? Because the lead often these are hardcore Brexiteers yeah. whose patron saints are 
Dulwich College educated yeah, yeah. Uh, Nigel Farage or Eton educated Boris Johnson. Yeah. And, and it's all- a very good Nigel Farage joke in Stu's uh, latest show, which I won't ruin yeah, for well, you. Well, yeah, just, don't ruin it's a show. silly joke in it, though. I mean, it's sort of that's the other thing is it's, you sort of feel like in a way you've just given up on analysis and it's funny <laughs> just to be pathetic about people, <laughs> it. but it, it does warp people's views those comments though in the sense that i don't know anyone who leaves comments below the line mm. and just nobody does. if yeah. you read a lot of the guardian comments you'd think the average guardian reader is somewhere to the right of goebbels yeah. frankly but obviously that's <laughs> not well the, the 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 normal guardian readership mm. if you like frothing at the mouth very very angry well george monbiot years ago um did this investigation where he found that loads of the people commenting under his articles, actually he traced their IP addresses and found that they were um, leaving them from the PR offices of fossil fuel companies. Oh, Because really? he writes about the environment. Yeah. These kind of companies like, deliberately do that to try and skew a, skew like yeah. public opinion. I, I think that's kind of died out a bit now. Cause I think with with that, me, I worked out that there was one particularly insanely an, an aggressive one. I worked out it was the... The same person under a variety of different identities across across all social media who would then have dialogues with other manifestations of themselves about oh, really? how they hated me, That's as if mad, it looked it? like as if it looked like it was creating a false um, thing. And it was it was someone I had known years ago, and it was really upsetting. That's horrendous. Wow, that yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, no, yeah, I had to get some advice on it in the end. Jeez. But it was because uh, it was sort of it would look like a full time job. Yeah, yeah. You know, to, to, yeah. to manage all these different identities on different things i mean that's the, that's one of the problems going back to social media is it does make you paranoid you know because people just used to hate you and you didn't know you just yeah. carried on happily and now you have to go into school and warn the teachers that someone's you know yeah that's I've, the thing i've had to you know. tell three different employers like if this person contacts you yeah. demanding me to be sacked like they do have a vendetta yeah, yeah. But just it's, ignore them it's true yeah. isn't it because like, back in the day it feels kind of sordid and embarrassing but you aren't even doing anything yeah. like it's just sort of coming at you but also back in the day if you wanted to kind of like abuse a public figure basically you had to get your green ink you had to get your piece of paper hard. and you had to like find an address and you had to get an envelope for the post office yeah. and go out post it and you'd never know if they'd ever read it now you can just tell someone to go fuck themselves in about two seconds there's a very good chance that they'll see it. But no one ever behaves like that in real life. No yeah. one has ever come up to me and told me I'm a fucking Muslim-loving lefty gay bastard. No. That I know <laughs> Except of. Except me. Yeah, well. I, that's, that's how I greet you. That's your nickname for me. Uh, <laughs> very affectionate. Uh, I was just going to say that um, the best hate mail I got recently was I was on Sky Papers and someone emailed me afterwards and said, you've got such a miserable face that whenever you're on TV, I immediately change the channel. Really? You've yeah. got a very happy face. I Thanks. Like well, some I, really with them. I, like the, I like the idea that somebody like took the time and then because I obviously like didn't reply to, to them because obviously why would I reply to that the next day they resent the email right, right. as though I was going to be like oh thank yeah. you for drawing this to my attention I missed this the first time yeah. I was like no no it was deliberate not replying to you my favourite one in fact let me just because it is it is I think worth from Alexander Ray fuck you you Marxist faggot May you burn in everlasting hell, you godless Marxist faggot. I will find out where you live, and I will enlighten you what I do to cock-sucking Marxist faggots. I hope to meet you real soon, so that I can break every bone in your body. Wait for it. By the way, faith schools are an important institution in our country's social, moral, spiritual, and educational fabric. You just don't like them because you're a laughing faggot. I hope I hurt you soon. Regards from Crusader for Christ. Just, just, what, just what the Prince of Peace would have wanted. It's a little, I mean... <laughs> well, but, you know, By but the then, way... Then is that... Is that a parody? I mean, because some of the ones I think, I now think, 
they're trying to get me to put them in my book. (laughs) (laughs) Really, really, like, over the top, you know. Can I just implore people, do not send lots of abuse to Stuart now hoping that he'll put it in his book. Yeah. It's not going to happen. I feel like maybe after his, like, long run of shows, you could maybe send him some, like, aromatherapy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Or, like, some warm milk or something. I mean, I can't, I can't, I won't do Or an Enya CD. No, don't do that. I won't do this many again. I'll never... Well, I used to live with Jenny Eclair, the the comic, in, in, in Edinburgh every summer, and... I'd always do too many shows and, and she used to call me the tank and say that I just seem to keep rolling forward. And I actually feel I'm 50 next year and I suddenly do feel like I have i can't really, uh, I'll probably do less and maybe in bigger rooms, which wasn't something I really wanted to do because I sort of think it's yeah. about seeing the wets of people's eyes, you know, but... You know, and the kid, the kids don't. The kids, I never, I'm not around a lot of nights for them. And, do you find it hard? Well... Yeah, I, d- I didn't I didn't used to because actually when they're really little they're really good fun and you love them. They don't really say anything cool. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't feel you might miss their first steps, but you miss some bit of Delphic wisdom. Now you think, oh, there's these little people and they're you, you can't you're not there for them, you know. So mm. yeah. Well, last are you optimistic generally? Just a general question. Are for you the, not for the in the when I was a kid in the eighties, we were all worried about nuclear war. We thought that was going to happen, you know, and the, and and. And the preparations were in place and we all had those protect and survive leaflets in our houses and watched the videos and, you know, that was terrible fear to grow up under. Um, and then it went away and it seemed like everything was all right. And I am, I'm not optimistic, actually. I, I know every now and again someone will write a, a thing saying why you should be more positive. But I think it would be very difficult for American democracy to put itself back together. Even when they, mm. even when Trump finally goes, I think he he's a, he's going to be able to do a lot of damage to the environment, to, to democracy, to international relations, and to you know our values and culture in the time that he's in. And I don't know. I think that Brexit, if it goes through, is, essentially seems to be a sort of coup being enacted by billionaire tax avoiders. Because you know, mm. I mean, I, and the, and the Guardian's been very good on that. Carol uh, Cadwaller, you know mm. that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I think we're losing control. I mean, I I, I felt a bit. Of, I felt right. You know, the the last few years, right, I've made a lot. I've made a lot of money on stand up, which took a, it took a long time before it started to yeah. pay. And I thought, right, sort of felt like I'm. I've kind of beaten the system in a way I never thought I would. I'm sort of secure, and then I thought, and now I suddenly thought, oh no, I'm, I am secure. But I'm in a country that I don't recognise that I doubt will have the sort of future that I wanted it to. It's a really weird thought that you kind of don't. I don't know what point of um, trying to move forwards in your life is because there's no certainty of what will of what will happen. Even like, simple things like you know, like environmental places that you used to like being will be fracked or bulldozed. Or I just I just don't know. I, was, I got really upset the other day about a brief silly thing, which was that when I stopped doing stand up for a long time and I couldn't work out what the point of comedy was, and I was very depressed about it all. I um I I, I read a lot. I found out accidentally about a lot of stuff about Native American clan traditions, and I, it probably anything would have done at the time, but I, I projected a lot of my anxieties and hopes onto reading about that, and then I went to the Pueblos in the southwest, you know, Arizona, New Mexico, where they do the performances, and then I finally got to a documentary about it for Radio 4 where look, they're not allowed to say it's them because mm. they're secret identities, but I know some of them talked to me, but they didn't admit it was them. But <laughs> then I went to one of these rituals, you know, and that, that is where... That's the area where he's saying he's annexing back the land that is that their myths are built in. And I just think, you know, I can feel like what a religious person would feel like if the place where their prophet was born had been bulldozed. Mm. And I just feel like I can't believe it. 
I can't believe the cruelty of it and the, the violence towards a culture and, and the, f- the frivolousness, the frivolousness yeah. of it. I just, yeah. So no, Mind I'm not. Alone. I'm not optimistic, but I, but on the other hand, I'm determined to do increasingly stupid, silly, and happy shows as I am. It was genuinely one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It and was very, very it cheered good. me up. And it does cheer you up, even though um, Stu is not optimistic. I'm optimistic all... for that two hours. <laughs> <laughs> you and I felt out of the show feeling happy. So, you know, spread the word. But also I did feel like it was one of your shows that I, I thought about it more. You know, normally I oh. go see your shows and I'm like, oh, that was hilarious, that was great. But this one... Funnily enough, I thought about it more. Really? Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I'm. People have been very kind about it, and I and I, um, you know, I don't really, I, I can't remember a lot of the others. They they tend to evaporate when I've when I've um, done yeah. them because I can't store all that much stuff in my head. And then I sometimes look back at something and I go, oh, that was funny. I don't remember doing that, but I don't have a, really know what it's like in comparison to the others. So it's nice to hear that. It's been an absolute honour. So thank you so much. It's been a real honour. Thank you. And we will be back for a Christmas episode. Little cheeky little Christmas. Our producer, Alex, who we talk about a lot, but you've never heard. One day that will change. Is um, cajoling us into doing a Christmas episode. So you know it'll happen. So we will do it. Thank you very much, Stu. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for listening. And we will see you soon. No, we won't. But you know what I mean. You'll hear us soon. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Bye. But I don't worry about a thing, cause I know nothing's going to be alright.